You'd think th 14, 15 episodes in, I'd have mastered this art by now. Folks, I have not. I have not mastered the art of segueing topics. But in attempting a segue, let's discuss another national team with, uh, I would say, slightly less odds to win the World Cup. Marginally less odds to win the World Cup than Brazil. Um, and that's the United States. I don't know how many of Breaking the Lines fans or viewers are from America or invested in the in the U.S. men's national team. But you know what? It's my podcast. I'm the host. This is, Will, this is Will Fowler's show, folks. And as the national team-loving American that I am, you know, you know the propaganda's flying. It always has been, and it's going to continue. And I, you know what? It's going to escalate. It's only April, folks. I mean, I'm not even in full form yet. I haven't, I haven't been able to talk about this in seven years, seven and a half years. I was deprived of this in 2018. So I apologize in advance if you, if you care like zero for the men's national team, for the U.S. men's national team. You're going to be hearing about it. I will do my best to keep you entertained. The USA just had a pretty underwhelming qualifying campaign. If you followed CONCACAF at all, they were poor away from home. They earned an automatic bid only on goal difference. Uh, they qualified. This kind of summed up the entire window. They qualified on a night on which they lost 2-0 in Costa Rica. They just, they never really looked like they clicked throughout that octagonal, with the exception, of course, of a couple uh, brilliant halves and the home win against Mexico, Dos Acero. Uh, but they made it. <laughs> and that's a step further and something we couldn't say four years ago in 2018. They made it. Now, like every, like every national team, the World Cup squad will not be identical to the qualifying squad. There will be changes because players will get better, players will get worse. God forbid players will get hurt and will not be able to make the plane uh, in the World Cup in 2022. And that might be especially true this year because, and I spoke about this a little bit on the Tavern of the Taguk Warriors podcast. Go and check them out on Twitter. Because this, I think this World Cup's squad selection is going to be so, so predicated on form because it comes in the middle of the European season. And Squad selection for it might feel a lot like your typical international friendly window team selection who's playing well at the at the given moment, which is completely contrary to squad selection in a summer tournament, which is let's take full season bodies of work who are our best players, who are our top performers. Let's put them in the squad. Now, that's not to say that the U.S. will leave off Christian Pulisic if he's not getting minutes for Chelsea. He's obviously there. But if we're looking at the margins, right, if we're looking at you know, squad positions 20 through 26. I think those positions will be very, very based on current form. And that's not like a hot take either. I, I don't think it is. I'd be upset if it was. It's going to be who's playing best right now. And you can pretty confidently with this American squad put together about 75% of the roster, I think, barring injury. Of course, you've got the household names, Pulisic, McKenney, Giovanni Reina should be there. Hope he recovers quickly. Uh, Eunice Musa, Tyler Adams. And you've got Dest, Anthony Robinson, both Robinsons in all likelihood. Uh, Matt Turner, Brendan Aronson, who will be at Leeds United. Mark this tweet um, by the time the World Cup comes around. But there are some positions that are still very much up for grabs, uh, like the backup fullback spots. The striker question mark is a glaring one. Depth in midfield. Not to say that it's thin, 
although it is for Stryker. Uh, not to say that it's thin. There's just murky water surrounding who's actually going to be on the plane. And those spots, I think, are far from decided. So who are some of the players maybe on the outside that can win places in the final World Cup squad? That's what we're chatting about for, for today with the U.S. Players that maybe weren't super involved in qualifying, but might slide in in the 11th hour and steal a spot on the plane. One of those back rows right next to the bathroom spots. But a spot's a spot. Especially in the World Cup. It's a long flight, folks. Cincinnati or Columbus to Doha is, if I had to guess, it's at least an 11 or a 12-hour flight, right? I don't fly frequently if that number is wildly off. It's a long flight. You don't want that bathroom seat. But if you're the last person on the squad, that might be the one you get. Although I would hope that coach planes like that would have separate, you know? It's not like a, like a city bus where you're sitting two feet away from this faux latrine. I would hope that, that the planes that they get to Doha would, you know, be a little bit more luxurious than that. Five players I've got here. Uh, let's chat about all of them. Again, MLS is named. Uh, Europe is named. We're going to start with, uh, with MLS though. Cause there's one player who I really, 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 really want to see more of. And if you're an MLS fan, you likely agree. And it's George Mihailovic uh, from Montreal. Mihailovic, four goals, two assists in 7.290s this season. And of course, we're still a long way away from that final squad selection. But when constructing a roster that will be so form-based, stuff like that plays a role. Now, will MLS be at a disadvantage? Because the World Cup will be right after the MLS season ends, so there's player fatigue. Or will it be an advantage and play into their hands because they're still kind of in the flow of a season, especially if a player is competing in the MLS Cup playoffs. We will see if it will play into their hands or out of them. But Mihailovic specifically is an interesting case. Uh, Plays on the left, but likes to get in field, can actually play in a number of different roles. Consider him like an advanced playmaker. He leads Montreal and touches in the attacking third. uh, 2.6 key passes per game. The question, uh, not the question for George Mihailovic and the U.S. men's national team, but can he survive as a lone advanced midfielder? Likely not, but he could pair with McKenney. I think he could pair with McKinney well ahead of Tyler Adams, uh, as well as coming off the bench as a winger, maybe as a left winger. A season ago, we we know he's creative, right? A season ago, he led MLS 14 assists on a team that impressively, the the team's goal number is not impressive, but the 14 assists is impressive because Montreal only scored 46 goals a season ago. That was tied for seventh in the East, tied for 15th in MLS uh, and finished 10th in the East. So the fact that he was able to lead the league in assists uh, is a telltale sign of how crucial he is to this Montreal attack. Likes to create from central areas, anticipates uh, teammates runs well, who also happens to offer the kind of versatility that can be crucial for uh, for national teams. This season already played as a seven, already played a winger. Who's When's the last time somebody used a seven to describe a winger? Uh, already played as a winger, already played as an eight, already played as a 10. Um, you can tell he reads the game well, even if sometimes his execution lets him down. And he does some of his best work on the counter and close to goal, which could be very, very valuable to a U.S. side that has at times lacked conviction. He earned the accolades of former head coach Thierry Henry. He was, of course, impact coach at the time that they acquired Mihailovic, of course, I say, as if everybody is an MLS lifer. Former teammate Bastian Schweinsteiger at Chicago Fire called it a, quote, no-brainer to to give him more minutes and to play him. He's a player that's drawing interest from Leeds United, drawing interest from Everton. There is European interest there, and I think there should be Berhalter interest in 
putting him on the plane it to uh to Doha. Somebody else. Let's go from from midfield slash winger to trying to solve that striker question. And I think somebody who's fallen a bit out of favor but shouldn't is Young Boys' Jordan Pifok. It seemed like his nail in the coffin was a really, really crucial mix uh, miss from like four or five feet out against uh, against Mexico. Listen, I've never been a fan of sealing a player's fate over one performance. It, it was a bad miss. It happens. Stop being reactionary. He's got arguably the best goal scoring, not arguably, he does have the best goal scoring record among U.S. men's national team striker hopefuls. And I am I am a peppy truther. I am a Ricardo peppy truther. I love the man. I think he's going to start in 2026. But there's a clear learning curve at both the European club level and at the international football level that he's yet to scale. And I believe PFOC just grabbed goal number 20 in uh, in the Swiss Super League, which leads all players in the Swiss Super League by a pretty hefty margin. Um, a poaching center forward, somebody who can get on the end of chances, physical. He scored uh, against Atalanta and Manchester United in the Champions League group stage. The big question here is will the U.S. want to play with a false nine or a more traditional poaching center forward? Um, of course, modern football... The leans more towards that more all around versatile playmaking center forward as opposed to the more just stick yourself in the penalty area and get on the edge of chances center forward. But it's up to preference. PFOC is not the kind of striker who will get super involved in the team's build-up play. He won't really act as a pivot. He won't be the kind of player that will move the ball from side to side, drop into spaces. But what he can do, unlike any other striker in the U.S. player pool is stick the ball in the back of the net. That's what he does do well. And what an asset that is in a competition where you've got three group stage matches or else you're out or else you're out of there. Finding somebody who can put the ball in the back of the net. I know there's talk about potentially Berhalter using a false nine, trying to get a little cute, play Tim Way there, out allows, of course, for better progression in the final third, but it leads the side without a real goal scorer. And in a situation in in in, in a situation like the World Cup, where you have so little margin for error, especially when you're not a heavy favorite, I am not a fan of getting cute tactically. I just am not. That that's that's where I stand. I think I, I would rather have a, a, a traditional center forward leading the lines for the US, even if he's not going to get as involved or active in the progression stages of the game, if it means we've got somebody on the pitch who not even like ability wise, confidence wise. Who, who is who is prepared to score? I mean, you know, we talk about the impact of club form at, at the, the international stage. There is a very real confidence factor among strikers. If they're in poor goal-scoring form, they're not going to score a goal on international duty. It's just not going to happen. We see that with strikers time and time again. If they have been scoring at club level, they will play so much better. Even if they are, like PFOC, at Young Boys in the Swiss League. It's not a Premier League side. It's not Bundesliga. It's not La Liga. But he's scoring goals for the best side in Switzerland. That That's a, a massive, massive confidence boost. Of course, it comes down to preference. But if it's 1-1 late in a match, I want a striker like PFOC instead of a striker like Sargent or Weah striker in, in quotes. You've got so many creative players already on the pitch. You've got Pulisic, Reyna, McKennie, Musa. They'll create the chances. They'll move the ball. Stick PFOC in the box and let him let him take his chance. He'll get one. He consistently does it at club level, and yet he's he, he's yet to get a run, a consistent run in the U.S. men's national team. And I hope to God that the, mix, that the miss against Mexico does not uh, prevent 
him from from getting a real chance in the summer. Uh, player number three, and we'll move this along because I'm already at 50-something-odd minutes. And I know I said 52, and spoiler alert, it's not going to be 52 minutes. I sold it short yet again. Uh, player three, let's go to the fullback spot. Joe Scally, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Depth at fullback, sorely needed, is the first thing that I wrote under Joe Scally. Uh, you get a player like Joe Scally. He can play on both sides of defense. He's done it for Borussia Mönchengladbach. 20.790s after getting less than one in all of 2020-2021. He was one of Gladbach's breakout players in the start of the season. Of course, he's come back down to earth a little bit, but he was very, very good at the start of their Bundesliga campaign. Um, what intrigues me about Scali is he's just different. He's much different from some of the U.S.'s best fullbacks. The best word to use, honestly, is annoying. He's annoying to play against. Like... He works so hard out of possession. He will close down on wingers so quickly. He can easily change direction using these little pitter-patter steps. He harasses player on the ball. He times his steps. He times his lunge as well. He's not afraid to defend further up the pitch if he's got cover behind him. He's annoying to play against. And that's not to say that he's not good in possession. It's just his best attributes and maybe his most valuable attributes for a USA side that don't have particularly adept, uh, defensively-minded fullbacks. His best attributes are ones that can be employed out of possession. But he is still pretty good in possession. He's a good crosser of the ball with time and space. He'll make aggressive, underlapping, overlapping runs. He loves to just simply run with the ball. He's 80th percentile among dribbles attempted and completed among fullbacks this season. He can play on both sides of defense. It allows him multiple avenues into the 11, or really just the team. And that tactical flexibility might get the best, actually, out of the other fullback, the other wingback who he plays with, right? Without sacrificing any real defensive solidity. Because an asymmetrical fullback with Scally staying closer to the center backs, if you don't want him as aggressive in possession, that's fine. You play an asymmetrical fullback, Scally stays with, at this point, what would likely be Robinson and Zimmerman. That allows the other more attack-minded fullback, whether it's Robinson or whether it's Dest, both of them. What they do best is in possession in the opposition half. You you play Scally in an asymmetrical three-back, and allow the other one full freedom to get up the pitch and create. Because that's what the U.S.'s starting wingbacks do so, so well. And you're not giving up much defensively. And actually, Scally is likely the more the most versatile and, and physically fit player in that back three, which means that the U.S. are, are more solid on, on counterattacking moves as well. Maybe crazy to say because he's yet to get a single minute in World Cup qualifying. Yet to, as if it continues. He didn't get a single minute in World Cup qualifying, but I'll say it. I think he's the third best wing back, the third best fullback in the pool behind Dest and behind Robinson. Not sure why he didn't get more of a chance during qualifying. He's, he, he's completely uncapped. You know what? Should have read my notes. Should have read my notes before I started the sentence because I said I don't think he got a minute. He is completely uncapped at the senior level. Hey, Greg Berhalter, why? Right. That's my question. Why is Joe Scali completely uncapped? Um, I know Berhalter uh, sometimes tends to put players in his dog pound uh, for some reason and more on one of those players a little bit later. Maybe Scali's in the dog pound. But this is a player who needs, needs, needs a look in the summer because he can play a really important role. And he brings a skill set that the U.S. don't have in the starting 11, um, which is that that defensive solidity that he provides, that 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 desire to harass and annoy opposition players. We don't really have that with Anthony Robinson and Serginio Dest. Player number four. Let's jump into midfield. Another unique player who will likely be fighting for the last spot, the last midfield spot on the plane. 
Gianluca Busio uh, at Venezia in Serie A. Such a unique player. I, I I think he's pole position right now. He he's leading the race for that last midfield spot. He he is your although he's not like fully developed yet. He's on track to be that traditional Serie A Italian style deep blind playmaker. Valuable European experience, by the way, at Venezia. Twenty point seven nineties this season. So, uh, he is a key player for Venezia. Of course, Venezia are not. Uh, playing very, very well. As a matter of fact, they're playing poorly. They are the worst side, I think, as of right now, in the Serie A table. They are 20th out of 20, and relegation looks almost a certainty unless they can channel some fantastic form here in the final uh, final match of the season. But Busio is... is you, you can still see the potential and the talent when Venezia play. His stats are a little bit distorted because he does play for one of the worst sides in Serie A, and he plays in a system that doesn't hold possession for very long. But he... With a player like Busio, the calling card in the role that he plays at Venezia is his his passing ability, his ability to to break the game open with specifically long balls over the top. He plays medium balls and long balls at impressive rates, 90% and 68%. He's improved as a ball winner, 79th percentile among midfielders uh, in dribblers tackled. He strikes a good dead ball, which is another calling card for these Italian DLPs, right? The ones that can hit free kicks. Andrea Pirlo immediately comes to mind. Busio is not Andrea Pirlo. Don't say that I said that because I didn't say that. Um, but he does. He strikes a good free kick. He's tops in shot creating actions, goal creating actions from dead ball scenarios. 0.82 key passes per 90. 50th percentile among the top five leagues, which is fine on paper, right? 50th percentile key passes. Okay, so he's average at creating chances. But <laughs> 50th percentile in a creativity stat is really good for a player who plays for the side with the joint fifth fewest goals scored in Europe's top five leagues with 26. The only the only players ahead of him at Venezia on key passes per 90 are the three attacking players. And and Venezia playing a 4-3-3, and they love counterattacking football. So that makes sense. Like, those three attacking players are going to have more key passes. But we're talking about a midfielder who's 50th percentile in key passes for a side that doesn't create chances or score goals. It's a testament to how much he's developed as that traditional DLP in just his first season in Serie A. He is raw. Admittedly, he is a raw player. It's just the U.S. don't have a player like him. Adams is going to be sitting in that deepest midfield role, but their skill sets are very, very different. You could see Busio be a player who could unlock those wide runs in behind, could be the one to take set pieces, an offensive-minded but still two-way deep-lying midfielder, likely needs cover from McKenney or Adams out of possession, but could very much uh, be a key contributor in possession creating chances from a different part of the pitch, which is valuable, a deeper part of the pitch, uh, stretching the opposition shape. Busio, I think, has a lot to provide that uh, some players in this player pool might not be able to provide at the same level. Uh, Very good vision, very good striker of the ball, high work rate, wins more tackles just in general than anyone else on the team. And those players, hey, you know what? Those players have to make their tackles. Because how many times do they not have the ball? How many times are they being run at? He presses very, very well. Reads passing and shooting lanes well. Uh, again, I'm, I'm dressing him up to be uh, the next great Italian, uh, Italian-trained DLP. It's not like that, uh, but you can certainly see the shades of it. Player number five, I'll be so quick on this one um, because I know that uh, people who are anti this player are going to have some, some shit to say. John Brooks from Wolfsburg. Uh, John Brooks 
John like he John Brooks needs to be on the plane. I that's not sorry. A discussion over. Like arg- argument over. John Brooks John Brooks needs to be on the plane in Doha, in my opinion. Um he's been frozen out of the national team on form. One of those players who who found himself in Berhalter's doghouse, dog dog pound, doghouse, whatever the word is. Here's what he does have. Okay. Number one, World Cup experience. And by the way, a goal. He scored in that in that that Ghana match. And number two, a pair of working legs. That that's what John Brooks has. This is not a position for the US where you can be particularly picky. The starting pairing is Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson, which is not for as good as they were statistically in CONCACAF qualifying, not leaving any attacking player trembling. And Brooks is this this veteran of the Bundesliga, veteran of the national team. And even if you don't play him for a single minute, uh, even if even if he doesn't see the pitch for any significant time, his guidance can be influential for the side that will, by the way, have the youngest 11 in Doha by two full years. This is a team of toddlers. You've got a player in John Brooks who was there in 2014, who played in 2014, who still starts in the Bundesliga, and you're not going to bring him because he's slow? There's people talking about bringing Tim Ream and Aaron Long as outside shouts, and they have the same problem, and Brooks is a better passer of the ball. I, I, I'm not lobbying for him to be the first name on the team sheet. But to, to freeze him out of the World Cup squad entirely is bizarre to me. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying he has to start over Robinson or Zimmerman. And they've certainly got bigger roles in the U.S.'s 2026 plans. But this is not a particularly strong position. And Brooks has the best international resume out of not just the center backs, but the team, like the team, the U.S. End of, end of sentence, period. Brooks has one of the best international resumes out of almost anybody not named Christian Pulisic and depending on how much you value DeAndre Edlin's contributions, who might be on the plane, might not be on the plane. But you look at Brooks, good ball playing center back, could come in handy if Matt Turner is in goal. Of course, we know he's not a super adept passer. Brooks only made two appearances in qualifying. How many center backs in the player pool are really better than him? Uh, genuinely. Robinson Zimmerman, fine, I won't argue with. Maybe Chris Richards? That's my five. My five players on currently on the periphery who I think could make a, a dent and have an argument and a particularly strong argument in uh, in making the play in for the U.S. Mihailovic, Pifok, Scali, Busio, and that's John Brooks off the corner. USA lead 2-1. John Brooks of Wolfsburg are my five highlighted players, and I'm sure, again, we'll talk about this national team a little bit more later down the line, but for now, that's where I'll stop. Um, Let's do Bet the Bank briefly. If you're a returning listener, you know what Bet the Bank is. Bet the Bank is where I give a player. I love the, the, I love the, uh, the next gen, I guess, is the best way to phrase it. The next gen of talent in the sport. Who is who is next in line, basically? And so every episode, almost every episode, some episodes, I try to give a player who I think is destined on to be on that track. Today we're going to go to uh, the EFL Championship. 
I'm not going to go digging to the the Bulgarian second division. I'm not going to go to New Zealand. I'm not going to do something uh, bizarre. I'm going to stay close to home. I'm going to go to the EFL championship and I'm going to go to a player that's absolutely lighting it up. And his name is Brennan Johnson. Bet the bank on Nottingham Forest's Brennan Johnson, 20 years old, tearing apart the championship. And uh, I don't want to say single-handedly leading Nottingham Forest to the promotion playoff because they are a very good side, a very well-rounded side. But Johnson is at the front of the charge. He will be in the Premier League next season, regardless of if Forrest win promotion. No doubt about that. Uh, potential to be Wales's best player in the not-too-distant future. Maybe once Gareth Bale hangs it up, maybe Brendan Johnson's their best player. I mean, it, he, he really is so, so skilled. I think Aaron Ramsey would actually have something to say about that. But the point is, uh, Brendan Johnson, very skilled player, should... Uh, should very much if Wales qualify for the 2022 World Cup, he should be one of the first names on the plane. I think didn't feature at all in uh, in the Euros a season ago, but should be on the plane for the World Cup if they qualify. He's been on scintillating form since returning from the Wales national team in the most recent international break. Four goals, three assists in four and a half nineties. What is what is he like? How does he play? Well, listen, you can't say that a championship player is the finished product because if he was, then he wouldn't be in the championship any longer for either he would get poached or they would have earned promotion. But he's as close to, he's, he's very close. I think he's close to being a finished product and you can tell a quick feet. He wants to run at the defense and he's a pacey player, but what really sets him apart is his ability to use his bursts of pace. Well, of course, playing in the championship. He's already up to speed with the physicality of English football. One thing that I I immediately noticed about Brendan Johnson when I started to watch him a bit more closely is he's always looking to progress the ball immediately after he receives it. He's very good on the turn. He's always looking up and at the opposing half, at the opposing goal. He wants to progress the ball as quickly as possible. He can play with both feet. He keeps the ball on a friggin' string. He, he is the like he is the next championship to Premier League baller. You want to talk about Abera Giazze, you want to talk about Michael Elise, both, of course, products of, uh, of Crystal Palace. Brennan Johnson is next in line. Yeah, the, the, the players making that, that graduation to the top flight of English football, Brennan Johnson is going to make that jump, and there will not be a crazy big adaptation period. Uh, here, here's a fun game for you. Google Brennan Johnson and then insert Premier League club and then rumor or transfer. You will find damn near every single Premier League side have either already lodged a transfer request uh, or transfer bid or they are interested in lodging a transfer bid or they are shortlisted. I mean, you talk about a player who everybody knows is going to be great. We're, we're talking about 18 or 19 of 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 the clubs in the Premier League, including the ones at the top, are inquiring about his services this summer. Robert Page considers him almost a fitness article. Robert Page, the Welsh national team head coach, Ian Wright, quote, better every time I see him play. He draws comparisons to Luis Diaz, which I think are spot on. Uh, That same kind of hardworking winner, hardworking winger, plays very direct, excels when running at defenders, creates chances as well as he scores them. Loves to play on the counter, get to the byline, pull it back for other players sitting in the penalty area. And I think he fits with Liverpool for that reason. But you also look at clubs like West Ham, Spurs, Newcastle, Palace. Uh, I mean, pretty much any side that play even a remote sense of attacking football. And 
you know, I, I was going to say don't play with with two strikers like a, like Southampton, for example, and they play with a four four two. But I think even still, Brendan Johnson could survive in in a striker pairing like that. And again, he will be in the Premier League come August, whether it's with Nottingham Forest or not. I would love to see Brendan Johnson in the Premier League with Forest. Although I don't, I don't even know if Forest win promotion would they be able to hang on to Brendan Johnson? He might still get poached. It'd be interesting to see how demanding Forest are of a certain transfer fee and if they're even willing to get rid of him if that fee is met. But we will see. Brendan Johnson, episode 15's Bet the Bank Player. And that is episode 15 all wrapped up in a nice little bow. Thank you so much for for getting to the end, for, for surviving to the end of this podcast. Again, like I said earlier, if you enjoyed what you heard, and if you got to this point of the podcast, I would certainly hope that you did. Um, if you liked what you heard, please go ahead and uh, and subscribe first and foremost to Breaking the Lines podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Anchor. There's like six thousand of them. There are so many. Like, hey, pick one. You know, why are there six thousand podcasts so successful? But subscribe to whichever one of the four million you use. Uh, I, I always link Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but if you use one of the other ones, I'm sure you can still subscribe. Right? There's probably there's probably some features that allows you to subscribe to podcasts. If not, then get Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make everyone's job easier. Also, follow us on Twitter at BTLVid is the Breaking the Lines Twitter. My Twitter at WillFowler5. Play more great content over there, more specifically on the Breaking the Lines Twitter feed. Uh, Daily content about exactly this kind of stuff, tactical analyses, player analyses, and with the World Cup ramping up, this podcast network is ever-growing. Wrote the Qatar is a new podcast now on the BTL lines that you're going to want to tune into. I might have a project in the works about the World Cup, a written project, so keep an eye out for that. That's all that I will tease. Um, But again, follow us there. Subscribe to your podcast. And if you got this far and didn't enjoy it, I mean, that's on you. That's like, you know, like 70 minutes, 72 now. What what are you doing? Why why do you, why do you come this whole, why did you do that? If you, if you are in that bin, don't get me wrong, still subscribe and follow. But if you didn't enjoy what you heard for the last 72 minutes, what are you doing? Come on. All right. Well, better wrap it up. I think that's how that's how we'll sign off this episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Keep an ear out for episode 16. It will be out very, very soon. Until then, you've been listening to the Tactics Room podcast presented by Breaking the Lines. My name is Will Fowler. Thank you so much for listening. Uh-huh.